This is a Federal News Network podcast. Remember those E.F. Hutton commercials where the person says, my broker is E.F. Hutton, and E.F. Hutton says, cue dramatic pause, everyone quiets down to listen. Well, when it comes to cloud computing, GSA and USDA could be the E.F. Hutton for federal agencies. Both are launching new initiatives to tackle what you might call the third phase of cloud computing. In his weekly reporter's notebook, executive editor Jason Miller writes about how GSA and the Agriculture Department are attempting to address cloud sprawl. Jason joins me now with the latest. Jason, let's start with the main question here. Why are GSA and the USDA, of all people, considered leaders in the federal cloud space? The one thing that you, when you look back over the last 10 years or so of cloud, GSA and USDA have done two things. They've been out in front of most of the initiatives. For instance, Tom, USDA, one of the first agencies to move to Office 365, their email to the cloud. They also were one of the first ones to take on the IT Centers of Excellence initiative, which had a focus area on data center consolidation and cloud adoption. So in many ways, USDA has always kind of been out in front of a lot of other agencies, really seeing that that benefit of the cloud services that are, are out there. Now, GSA, the, the, I would characterize them as both as also being out in front of most other agencies, but but from both an internal perspective, meaning Dave Shive, the CIO over there, and all the work they're doing to, to bring internal cloud services to GSA employees, they were one of the outliers moving actually to Google for uh, office productivity types sure. of services, you know, the, the word processing types and, and spreadsheet types of things. They're one of the few people who actually still are using Google Cloud for, for, for productivity stuff. But then, you know, externally through their acquisition service, they're doing a lot of work in terms of how they put together their acquisition vehicles. Tom, you remember probably the email as a service vehicle that you know, struggled, didn't do well, was was probably ahead of its time. But they've also you know come up with the special item number uh, for the schedules. They've done some BPAs on top of the schedules, for instance, for the Department of Defense DOS program. So I think GSA is really trying to think forward about how cloud can work. So I think both of these agencies are, are saying other agencies can look at them and say, OK, if they're going in that direction, we need to start thinking about that because They've been out in front for the last decade. And this idea of cloud sprawl, it didn't take long from adopt already to now we have cloud sprawl. What is the USDA doing to address its cloud sprawl? USDA commissioned, if you will, or created a new working group. And, and they're, what they're trying to do is create that single pane of glass. We hear this all the time in the cybersecurity world, but the single pane of glass for cloud services and what's happening internally within USDA. Now, Gary Washington, the Agriculture Chief Information Officer, told me by email that really the goal here is a couple of things. Number one, collaborate between the CIO office and the mission areas and to talk about cloud adoption, purchasing, implementation, management, and impact on the USDA mission. So I think that's what's really difference here, Tom, is that they're really bringing the mission side to talk about digital transformation, IT modernization, whatever you want to call it. Now, Washington says that the working group is going to be uh, co-chaired by the Mission Area Assistant CIO and the Associate CIO for Digital Infrastructure. So two separate organizations are coming together to work through this. Typically, what I've been told is Tom, you know, we'll throw it over the fence, let the CIO's office work it out, or let the acquisition folks buy our cloud that we need. And I think this is just a sign, and we're hearing this from a lot of CIOs, but that the mission side has got to play a bigger role in what they need, where their needs are coming from, how to meet those needs, and what those needs in terms of how they're bought, how they're paid for, how they're how they're sure. managed. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. And getting back to GSA, they're taking this issue on at the government-wide level. Tell us what they're doing. 
a lot of what GSA is trying to do is, is look at it from the government-wide perspective, and they're putting together a cloud marketplace, and they're going to release a request for information in the coming weeks. And this RFI is really trying to address some long-standing challenges that agencies have found. We want to put together not only a framework, but also a contractual vehicle that will allow our agencies to buy these core cloud services, and that we're seeing them need more and more. We're taking the, the way that we've learned from where we started on using the special item number to putting together BPAs to now putting together a more agile framework that will allow us to continue to grow and expand. Again, Laura Stanton from GSA is Assistant Commissioner in the Office of the IT Category. Now, she, she also says that the while she didn't offer too many more details of what this RFI would look like or what the RFI would really call for, she did say that the RFI is trying to address some gaps that they've seen time and again as agencies have bought cloud computing or cloud computing services over the last decade. We've learned that there's a whole post-award governance that agencies need in order to manage their cloud services. We know that there's professional IT services that agencies need when they buy the licenses. And so instead of having to put do those separately or each agency building in the necessary um, requirements or even having to build in their own baseline security requirements for FedRAMP, that's sort of that foundational set of requirements. Let's take security, FedRAMP moderate, and look at how do we build that into the marketplace so that agencies don't have to worry about that. And then they can go, they, they have a single place to get everything that they need to be able to develop an entire cloud solution. Again, Laura Stanton from GSA talks about this new cloud marketplace. Tom, what her hope is to have the first iteration or phase one of this cloud marketplace in place by the end of fiscal 2022. And do you get the sense that the cloud sprawl is something that is really happening across government, that agencies perceive it that way? The biggest challenge that I hear is the governance piece. Everybody wants to move to the cloud. We, Tom, we saw it during the pandemic over the last 20 months or so, how beneficial getting systems and applications and data into the cloud has been. But what the challenge is, is trying to create those guardrails that the mission areas can live within. I spoke with Susie Adams, the chief technology officer for Microsoft Federal Sales, who's been in this market for, for, for decades. And she says the biggest thing that she hears time and again from her federal customers is how to deal with this idea of deploying services, how to deploy the services, and, and then to understand what those guardrails are so you can stay within them, so you, so the services are secure, so they're managed well. And a lot of this is just coming back to governance. And now governance is boring. People generally don't want to talk about governance models. But I, what I think GSA and USDA are showing is that has to come next for the missionaries to be successful. And in the end, Tom, as we talk about time and again, it's not about going to the cloud. It's not about the new technology. It's about making the mission right. And to make that mission right, you got to control that cloud in such a way that's easy for missionaries to use it, but also is secure, is manageable, doesn't cost too much money. So I, I think that's why GSA and USDA are kind of out in front of creating that balance. But I think cloud sprawl is beginning to be a big problem across government. All right, but they have an EF Hutton to go to and hear what it says. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, 
and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's chief of legislative affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. 
You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters uh, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.